We are on week three of our series called Make War. Why did you call it Make War, Josh? Because I'm sick and tired of seeing people getting picked on by the enemy, and I think it's high time for the church to rise up and fight back. Amen? You don't have to be a doormat. You don't have to allow him to pick on you. And I think it's a, man, it's a great opportunity for us to come together as a church to fight back because we've been getting picked on a little bit as a church. And I said this a few weeks ago. That's a good thing, though, because the enemy only messes with people who are a threat to him. So I say bring it on because I know the power that I operate in in the name of Jesus, and we can roll right over that joker every step of the way. Amen? Amen. You guys with me this morning? Hey, are y'all going to help me preach this message a little bit today? Yeah, I feel some good energy in this place. You guys come in. Hey, did you have a good Memorial Day weekend? Good. Anybody feeling a little off rhythm because you, you're used to doing stuff on Monday, but you didn't, and now you feel like today should be Saturday instead of Sunday? Yeah, I've, I've been like that like the whole week. I'm like, this doesn't feel like it's supposed to. This isn't the right day. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the first of the two major ways that the enemy tries to attack us. Uh, The first week, we kind of did an overview and laid a foundation of what spiritual warfare was, just in case you didn't know, and we looked at some of the tactics of the enemy and how he attacks. And then last week, we answered a lot of questions that we had about spiritual warfare. How many of y'all were here for last week? You enjoyed that? We answered a lot of questions. And today, though, we want to start to dig in and look at some of the key things that the enemy does to try to trip us up. And there's two main ways that he operates in our lives to try to get us. He's very good at what he does, but we don't have to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Amen? So uh, we're going to look at that today. And what what we're going to look at today is temptation. Temptation. And not just temptation, but what I like to call the silent cycle of temptation that he likes to use in our lives. How many of you guys have ever been on an adventure called trying to lose weight? Yeah? Man, a lot of hands are going up. Look, y'all feel it. You're feeling my struggle right now. I'm on a mission to become less so that Jesus can become more in my life. That's what I'll say. That's how, that's how you church it up, right? That's how you church it up. So I'm trying to lose weight, but I get, guys, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm losing weight and I'm feeling great. Um, and these people that are like exercise buffs and fitness experts, and they're like, once you start exercising, you'll get addicted to it, and it'll change your life. I had never had that problem. Well, like, I can stop this anytime I want to. Like, I can just walk away from it, no problem at all. You know? uh, but what gets me are like the sweets. You know, like bags of chips, they don't bother me. You know, like I like good food and all that, but what gets me are the sweets, y'all. Like, uh... Little Debbie cakes. Y'all ever had those Little Debbie cakes? Can we just be honest in church this morning? It's like McDonald's. And nobody likes to admit you're going to McDonald's, but they're selling billions of hamburgers, so somebody's going to McDonald's. We all know it's bad food, but there it is. Little Debbie's, like a lot of people don't like to admit to eating these things. I love those things, man. They're like kryptonite to me. And there's a football game on, and I got a box of, like, zebra cakes or fudge rounds. Or even star crunches. Y'all like those star crunches? Oh, my God. That's like heaven in a little plastic bag. Like somebody just brought it down and said, here you go. Have heaven in a little bag. Just open it up. It's like Christmas. Every time you open one, you get to unwrap it. And it's like, yeah. So I love it. Uh, 
I love those things, man. I could sit down and watch a football game and kill a box of those if I had some coffee or a glass of milk and wouldn't even think twice about it. I just love those things. Sweets get me. Sweets get me. Or like you go to uh, the Cheesecake Factory. God Almighty. We're just going to have to dismiss early, I think, and go get some desserts. You just pick your cheesecake poison, and they've got it there. It's just, it's, I have trouble with that. Or you go to Longhorn <clears throat> just down the road, and they've got that little apple crisp thing that you can get. It's like this little apple pie thing with the ice cream on the side. You ever had that over there? Oh, my Lord. Or the chocolate stampede. Y'all had the chocolate stampede at Longhorn? It's like this, I mean, this huge glob of chocolate. You know, I brought, I, I brought some to show you this morning because talking about it is one thing but seeing it it's, can y'all see that okay it's like chocolate cake goodness it's this is one serving like I, I went there and i said hey i want the the chocolate stampede and they said okay they brought a truck backed up they unloaded it onto this plate for me this has got chocolate shavings on top of it and it's got this chocolate mousse stuff here and chocolate ice cream, and then it's like a little cake thing here, and like a brownie thing right here. This is amazing. I want you guys, I mean, anybody want a bite? We're going to give this away today to somebody. Um, this is amazing, though. If you smell it, it's like, y'all know chocolate, right? Like you smell chocolate baking, like chocolate chip cookies cooking. It smells like chocolate, just awesomeness. And it's so big. And if I sat at a table long enough, I could put a huge dent in this thing, you know. How many of y'all want to go with me and everybody, if I just bought chocolate stampedes for everybody here today, who wants to go get a chocolate stampede? Yeah? We can have some fun after service today. Well, it depends on how good the offering was this morning. If this is a big offering, y'all bought yourself dessert and you didn't know it. So, it's just good. This is good stuff. But... Here's the thing, and this is how temptation works. How many of y'all were thinking about chocolate stampede before you came to church today? Nobody, probably. Maybe one person in here might have been thinking about it. I was thinking about it because I knew this was going to be here. Um, This is how temptation works, though. Sometimes we're just going along, and something's put in front of us, and we see it, and then suddenly we want it. And that's when the battle starts, right? That's when the battle starts. We see it, and then we want it. And the enemy's really good at putting... So I just set that by my wife. We're going to find out how much (laughs) self-control Kelly has during the service. So everybody keep peeking over at my wife. She's already eating a bite. It's over with. The enemy loves to put stuff in front of us that we like. James chapter 1 spells it out really well. You guys put that verse up on the screen. Starting at verse 13, it says, No one, or when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Here's the trick, though. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. All Satan has to do is just put something in front of us that we already want, that we're already desiring. To try to trip us up. 
Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Here's a process here. You have desire. You stay in desire for a little while. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Sin always ends in death. Always ends in death. It doesn't matter how good it looks, the end result of that temptation and that sin is always going to be death and destruction. Death and destruction. And this is how he operates. This is how he operates. He'll put it in front of us to try to tempt us because he knows we desire it in our carnal, in our carnal self and our fleshly self to try to trip us up. So I got a question for you this morning because uh, we're going to have a real good conversation about this today because I believe that there are, I'm going to kind of break this down into steps so you can see the silent cycle of temptation that the enemy works in our lives. And I want you to be honest as we go through and objectively look at where you're at in your life and your walk with God and just be honest and kind of gauge where you might be on this progression that we're going to go through this morning. Is that cool? We'll be honest this morning. We're going to do that. Big question for you this morning. What is the thing that you are tempted with the most? Now, I want you to stop for a second and just think about it. What's the thing that you're tempted with the most? Because everybody has usually got that thing. Now, it could be the, the chocolate stampede stuff. But for a lot of us, it's a lot deeper. I mean, for some of us, it's, it's lust. For some of us, it's sex. For some of us, it's um, just emotional worth that we get from other people. What's the thing that you're tempted with the most? For most of us, we've got like one or two major things in our lives that it seems like the devil keeps coming back to, to tempt us with over and over and over again. And even if you get so close to God that you feel like you can just glow in the dark spiritually, eventually, give it enough time, he's going to come back around with that temptation and try to get you again. Now, I want to stop here for a second, okay? Because I want to, I want to clear something up. Because sometimes we feel guilty because we're tempted to do certain things. You ever felt that way? You know, like something was there, and he's like, man, I really want to do this. And, but you, you put on the brakes, and you stop, but you feel guilty because that desire is inside of you. Listen, is it a sin to be tempted? Is it a sin to be tempted? Absolutely not. Okay, you're not sinning if you're getting tempted. Now, what happens after that makes the difference in whether or not you're going to go full-blown into sin or not. Uh, I'll prove it to you from Scripture. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the Bible says, to be what by the devil? To be tempted by the devil. Led into the wilderness, and he was tempted. A lot of people forget that Jesus was, he was, like, he was 100% God, but at the same time, he was 100% man. Okay, 100% God and 100% man, tempted by the enemy, he overcame it. He was a sinless sacrifice for our sin. So being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. So it's what you do with that struggle, though, whether you take that step or not, that's the big thing. Um, So today, we're going to look at this story in Scripture that, in my opinion, is probably one of the saddest, most jacked-up stories you're ever going to hear. 
saddest and most jacked up story you're ever going to hear. And you understand why I'm saying that when we get there. Um, y'all have heard of Abraham, right? Okay. Abraham, before God changed his name, was a guy named Abram. And God spoke to Abraham or Abram and said, hey, listen, I'm going to do something awesome with your life because of your faith in me. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Your descendants are going to be uncountable. What I want you to do is pack up your stuff, grab your family. I want you to go with me, and I'll tell you where you're going as you go along the way. So Abraham said, okay, that's great. I'll do that. So he packs up his stuff, and he goes on this trip with God, following God. And one of the people that goes with Abraham on this trip is a guy named Lot. How many of y'all have heard of Lot? Yeah, if you've got a church background, you've heard of this guy named Lot. So Lot goes with Abraham, and as Abraham goes on this journey, God's blessing Abraham. I mean, he's pouring out blessing on him. His, his livestock is multiplying. Like his, his cows are multiplying, his sheep are multiplying, all of his cows. He's, he's accumulating a lot of possession. He's accumulating a lot of wealth because God's blessing him because of his obedience. And as a byproduct of that, because of his association with Abraham, Lot was getting blessed too. Okay, listen, it's real important to be careful who you allow in your inner circle. Okay, because they're either going to bring blessing into your life or they're going to bring curse into your life. They're going to either get you closer to who God's called you to be or they're going to take you in the other direction. You've seen that happen? So Lot was in a position in his life where he was getting blessed because he was in, in close association with a guy that God was blessing. And it got to the point where Abraham had so much stuff and Lot began to get so much stuff that they began to have some friction because Lot had all this cattle and all these sheep and they needed water and they needed land and so did Abraham's stuff. And then their servants started fighting over people. That's rich people problems right there. Like when your servants are fighting with other people. So I had never had that problem before in my life. Yeah. So, so they get in there and they're having these disagreements. And, and so Abraham says, look, this, this isn't a good thing. Let's just do this. Let's just part ways, and there's plenty of land out here. You go one direction, and I'll go the other direction. And he said, look, I'll even let you pick. You pick the area you want to go to, and I'll just go in the opposite direction. And so Lot said, yeah, that's a great idea. That sounds fine. So Lot picks this area to go to. Abraham picks this other area to go to. And this is where we're going to start our story in Genesis 13. Abraham went, and he lived in the land of Canaan. While Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, if you're from a churchy background, you already know where this is going, but you may not know why this is important. This is a big deal because it says, Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot's in a position up on this mountain with Abraham where he's got the blessing of God on his life. He's with this man of God. And when he gets the chance to pick the place that he wants to go to, he picks a place to camp just outside of one of the most wicked places on the planet at the time. That would be like us going to live near Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where the University of Alabama is. You know, it'd, be, it'd be a bad, bad place to go. So Lot doesn't... I mean, if you, if you, and, and I think that if, if we went and we had a conversation with him, it's like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're walking with this man of God, and now you're, like, really close to this horrible place. And you can hear, I kind of, you kind of hear a lot saying, yeah, 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 I get it. But I'm not in it. I'm just near it. I'm just near it. 
We're not going to go in there. We're not going to participate in all that stuff. I need to be near Sodom. I need to be near Gomorrah. Just, you know, we got some supply runs we're going to need to do, and we're going to have to get some this and that for the cattle, and the kids and the wife might need something. So, man, you know, it just it's, it's a good deal for us to be out here. We're out here near it, but we're not in it. You ever heard that before? First step in this progression that the enemy wants to get you caught up in is flirtation. It's flirtation. Where you're not in it, but you're as close to it as you can get. How many of y'all got kids? A lot of hands going up. Man, I got kids. Golly. I got two kids, but sometimes it seems like I've got 20 kids. You know? If you took this stool and put it in a room full of kids, and you said, all right, guys, play with all the toys in here you want to, but stay off of that stool. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. What's going to happen? They're going to come there. And usually what kids are going to do in the beginning is, like, get as close to this thing as they can get without actually touching it. Just right down here. Not touching it but as close to it as they can possibly get. That's what they like to do. That's what they like. I've got my little girl, Abby, just turned three, and she pushes. like she's, We're trying to define boundaries and punishments for going over the boundaries and all this stuff. Man, she gets as close to that line sometime as she can get. Abby, don't do that, and she'll go. And you can see the computer just smoking right here. All right, is it going to be worth it? Or not? Is it worth it or not? Is it worth it or not? Because I know what's coming. Sometimes it's worth it to her and sometimes it's not. You know, we're, we're getting there. But this is what happens, though. Um, I got news for you guys. The first step away from God is always a small one. The first step away from God is always a small one. Most people don't wake up in the morning and say, Wow, I'm just going to hop right up on this stool of sin. I can't wait. Today is going to be an awesome day for me to cheat on my spouse and destroy my marriage and destroy my family. Most people don't wake up and say, yeah, I'm just going to dive right in. Most people don't wake up and say, today's the day that I'm going to get addicted to drugs and destroy my life. That's just not on the agenda. A little bit at a time. One small step at a time. That's how he gets us there. Most people... Most people say, oh, don't jump up and say, you know what? Today is the day that I'm going to take the shady business deal and destroy my reputation and destroy my business and lose my income and lose the income of all the families that I support. It always starts with one small step. It's one small step. The reason why it's a small step is because we're smart enough to see the big ones, Right? We're smart enough to see the big ones. I used to do young adult ministry for a while, and one of the biggest, <laughs> the biggest questions, the most common, common questions that the couples would come and ask me while they were, when they first started dating was, hey, all right, just so we know, how far is too far? <laughs> well, you mean how far is too far? 
I just we just want to know like the kissing, touching, just like how far is too far before we're sinning because we don't we want to know where that line is. And I'm like, you just about you don't have a chance with this, you know. It's just y'all remember like the old school thing they used to have in youth groups where they would show like the progression of what's allowable in relationships. Like you'd have first base, it was like holding hands or something, and then second base they would have like heavy petting. Exactly, what is heavy petting like? That I mean, what what is that supposed? That's just awkward and weird. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm breaking up. This heavy petting stuff's too abusive. I don't want anything to do with that. So, and then third base would be, you know, all the clothes off and stuff, and home run would still be what home run would be today. So you walk these people through all this progression. Where's the line? How far can we go? Look, how far can we go is the wrong question to ask. How close can we get to sin is the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is how close to God can I get? Because when we focus on getting close to God, temptation kind of fades into the background. Now, we're still going to have it. We're still going to have to walk through it, but it loses its power and it loses its grip the question should be how close can i get to god how much of his word can i get inside of me how much of his presence can i have in my life because when i do that i'm putting myself in a position to overcome every trap and every temptation of the enemy okay so it's not how close to sin can i get it's how close to god can i get this right here good question to ask is this and just stop and ask yourself, because I know we're in church and everybody just said amen, and we're kind of getting into this right now. But just stop, let's put a pause on it and ask yourself this question. What am I flirting with today that I should be fleeing from? What am I flirting with today that I should be fleeing from? I mean, why does it matter, Josh? Because flirtation opens up the door. When we entertain these areas in our lives, it opens up the door. How many of y'all have ever seen this happen? Like you, the enemy tempts you with something and you don't like dive straight into it, but you just kind of pause and give it a look. Have you noticed how suddenly that stuff just begins to appear in your life all over the place? Like you look at something and it's like, Oh, I wasn't tempted. I was tempted to look at porn. I didn't look at porn. But man, I sure looked at that lady in that bikini for a little bit longer than I needed to. And then suddenly, half-naked women start showing up everywhere. <laughs> it's the truth. So it's not just this stool. It's like a stool and another stool begin to pop up. They just pop up everywhere. Because when we flirt with it, the enemy sees it, and he goes, ah, that's an opportunity. And he's going to create that opportunity everywhere he can to get us to step in and fall into the temptation, to take the next step into the progression of sin. You seen this happen in your lives? You seen it happen? It's not that, well, I'm just... I used I used to do a lot of drugs, but I'm not going to do it anymore. But I get tempted every once in a while. And I'm not doing heroin, but maybe I'll smoke a, a little bit of pot every once in a while. Flirting with it. There's going to be heroin for free everywhere you can go. This is how the enemy, you're going to be able to shoot up anywhere you want to. This is how it happens. This is how it happens. It's It's the... 
It's the it's person that says, well, I don't really want to sleep with them. I just want to know if I can. I just want to know that it's there if I want it. Dude, you're going to have opportunity, opportunity, opportunity to sleep with that person. You, you're going to be alone all the time. Hey, what happened? Where'd everybody go? I don't know. Hey, they turned off all the lights too. What's that disco ball? Why is there crazy 70s music playing on the radio? I don't know. Just set you up to fall. Y'all want to laugh, but you're not laughing. You're like, that's kind of weird, huh? This is what he does. This is what he does. He will set you up so that he can get you to take the next step in this progression, which is rationalization. Rationalization. He wants you to rationalize your way into taking the next step so that he can get you right where he wants you to close that trap on you. And when we rationalize, we tell ourselves rational lies. That's what we do. We'll literally deceive ourselves into thinking that something's good sometimes when it's not. Um, Genesis Go to that next one in 14. Now, what's happened here is that some time has passed, and Lot's been camped outside of Sodom, and there's been a war. And you got this four kings that are attacked by five kings, and they have this battle, and the four kings overcome the five kings in this battle. And one of the cities that are overthrown by the four kings is the city that Lot was next to, Sodom. So the four kings seized all the goods in Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. They, then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Oh, hold up a minute. I thought it was outside of Sodom. I thought he set up camp near Sodom, but not in Sodom. Now we find out that Lot is in Sodom. In this wicked, sinful city. And he gets caught up in something he never should have been a part of where this army comes in and takes all of his stuff and takes him prisoner. It, may, it makes you want to go out there and just talk to him. Like if you could go back in time and go, Lot, what are you doing, bro? You said you were going to be outside the city, and now you're inside the city. But you, you were on a mountain with a man of God, and you had all this stuff, and now you just had it taken away from you because you're in the city. What are you doing? And you can hear Lot kind of rationalizing just a little bit. Well, you know, our kids, they go to Sodom High School... And, I mean, it's the best school around, so we had them in there. And my wife likes to take yoga class in downtown Sodom, and it's the best yoga studio around. So we decided, you know, maybe maybe getting closer would be a better thing because, golly, guys, this commute is killing us. We've got to travel from outside the city inside to the city a couple of times a week for supplies and all this stuff. It's just, it's killing us. So we just thought it would be easier to move into Sodom. You can just hear him saying that, right? Now look, no, no, listen. I know we're in here, but it's not like we're going to be doing all the stuff these people are doing. We're just in here because it's easier for us. This is a good move for us right now. This is what we're doing. It's not like we're going to start sinning like these people are sinning. It's not like we're going to jump right in and become part of the most wicked place on the planet at the time. It's not like we're going to adopt their culture or anything like that. We're just here. You can kind of hear him talking himself into it. 
I hear people rationalize stuff all the time, and especially people in their 20s right now. It's like this big fad right now. If you're dating and you're in your early 20s, the deal is you move in together. And that's not anything new, but it seems to be making like a resurgence here lately. And you talk to these people, and they're like, yeah, Pastor Josh, <clears throat> we're thinking about moving in together. Cool. When would you get married? I didn't know about that. Well, no, we're not not married yet. We we might do that, but we want to find out if if we fit and we get along with each other. And it's just it's just gonna make a, a good move for us right now because I don't make a lot of money and he doesn't make a lot of money. If we move in together, then we'll be able to share the bills and we'll be able to move out of our parents' place and have some independence. And it'd be a great economical move for us. And I'm like, okay, how do you take two broke people, put them together, and get money? Like one and one doesn't make two there. All you parents are thinking, yeah, that doesn't make sense at all. Broke and broke don't make wealthy, you know. So, and so they, they talk through all this stuff. and like, Yeah, it's time for us to do this. And I'm like, okay, how long do you think it's going to be before you start having sex if you're not having sex already? Well, we're not going to do that. It's, it's not about that. It's exactly about that. You're opening up the door for a huge temptation. It's a bad move. Um, besides the facts that like, uh, it's like seven or eight marriages where the people lived together before they were married. Seven out of eight, some, seven, or, seven or eight out of ten, rather, end in divorce anyway. Like living together doesn't make things work for the marriage at all. Actually, the opposite is true. Um, what about that verse in the Bible that talks about uh, fleeing from the appearance of evil? Living a life that's above reproach. How's that going to reflect on your witness? Think this through long term. Where's that going to end up? Where's it going to end up? It's going to end up with the two of you in a place you don't need to go spiritually. It's bad news. You know, it's it's the person that's on Facebook clicking around or on Instagram just surfing through. And then they get that message from that person that they used to date in high school or college. Well, it'd be nice to reconnect. Nothing wrong with reconnecting. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? My big question is, okay, one, does your spouse know that you're reconnecting with this person that you used to date? Because I'll be daggum. I tell you right now, I'd love to know if my wife was reconnecting with people she used to date in high school. I'd like to have a conversation with them. Say, hey, you can say hi. Just want to let you know I got guns and they're loaded. And uh, I can pray, but I can fall into sin pretty quick too, so you better watch out. Uh, <clears throat> so I just let them know. So pretty soon, what you message, you just can't have a good conversation that way. So you swap phone numbers. Well, I'll just call them and catch up. Rationalizing all of them. I'll just call and catch up see what's going on. Hey, why don't we get together and meet? Here it goes, one little step at a time. Well, it's just dinner. It's just lunch. It ain't just lunch to your husband, I guarantee you. It won't be just lunch to your wife, I guarantee you. Maybe if I go with you, we can just have lunch. It'll be fine. Um, it's just lunch. Nobody ever says, I can't wait to have an affair. Nobody waits. I just can't wait to cheat on my spouse. But if we rationalize our way through it, we get there eventually. Because when we rationalize... We tell ourselves rational lies and deceive ourselves through the progression. 
constantly talking ourselves in because the enemy moves us in little steps. Are y'all still with me? All right, so here's some questions we should be asking ourselves, okay? Instead of talking ourselves into doing these things, we should be asking ourselves questions like this. How did this impact my relationship with God? How will it impact my relationship with God? And how does this impact God's will for my life? Because those two questions become a huge filter for everything that comes into our lives. If it doesn't get me close to God, I don't need it in my life. If it opens up the opportunity for me to fall into sin, I don't need it in my life. I don't want it anywhere near me. If I move closer to God, I don't have to worry about drawing closer to sin. Amen? So, how does it get it closer? You know, Adam and Eve, when you look back at like the original sin that got us all in trouble, because we're all supposed to be running around naked eating fruit. And it's supposed to be cool, and it's supposed to be, that was God's original plan. Sounds fun to me, I guess. That's what he wanted. But Adam and Eve fell into sin and messed it all up for us. When Satan tempted Eve, he gave her what she wanted, and she began to rationalize her way through it. So here you go. Here's the fruit. And she went through this thing defensively first. She goes, no, no, I don't want that. God said, don't touch it. Don't eat it. We don't want it. And then he said, yeah, but he knows that when you eat it, then your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to know good from evil. And you're going to be more like him. Here comes that rationalization. She goes, huh. The Bible says that she looked at the fruit and saw that it was pleasing to the eye and good for gaining knowledge and the wisdom. And she talked herself literally into eating that fruit and putting us all in a situation that we're in right now. See, this is how it works, and this is why we got to be careful not to rationalize our way into thinking That sin is good. Abraham and Lot were on this mountain. Lot went to outside Gomorrah and Sodom. And the next thing you know, he's in the city. And I guarantee you, he never intended to go into the city. But eventually, I can see him rationalizing the reasons why he was there. You got to be careful, though, because if you rationalize long enough and you stay in the compromise long enough, you got to be careful because if. If you find yourself making excuses for compromise consistently in your life instead of changing and moving away from that, you're in a bad place. You're in this place where you're rationalizing your way through it. You've got to be careful because when you stay there long enough, eventually the third thing in the process happens. You see transformation happen in your life. Transformation happens in your life. When we sit and sin long enough, guys... When we sit in sin long enough, it changes us. It changes us. When we go from don't touch to eh, it's not so bad to sitting on this seat, it changes us. You can't stay in sin for long without it changing you. It affects your heart. It affects your relationship with God. It jades you and calluses you and opens you up spiritually for the opportunity to do more stuff. You've seen this happen in people's lives, right? Most of the time, they can't even see it happening because the enemy moves us in small steps. Uh, we're going to continue our story. Genesis 19. Here comes Lot again. And what we know is that about 13 years have passed. 
you figure out what's happened in the previous chapters, you can figure out, give or take, right at 13 years have passed where Lot was living in Sodom. Abraham had to come in and rescue Lot, set him free from the people that took him away, and Lot went right back to Sodom. You ever seen people get free from sin for a little while and then go right back into the middle of it? This is what Lot was doing. And so God finally says, hey, I've had enough. I'm about to destroy this city. But because of you, Abraham, I'm going to give the opportunity for Lot and his family to get out of there before I blow the place up. I'm paraphrasing a lot here. So he sends two angels to Sodom to get Lot. The two angels arrive at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Now, I want to stop here for a second because you can read over that and not catch what's happening here. The only people that would sit in the gateway of a city in that culture would have been the leaders of that city. The leaders and the elders of that city. Now he's leading? Now he's leading? Are you kidding me? So he goes from outside the camp to inside the camp to now he's leading. You can't lead a city without adopting the values of a city. You can't lead a culture without being part of that culture. Here's Lot, neck deep, leading this. It's amazing. Lot, what are you doing? No, 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 no. It's good, it's good, it's good. I got this under control. I got this under control. People that are in a bad pattern of sin always think they got it under control. I can always stop any time that I want to. So when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Well, it's real easy to look churchy and still have a bunch of sin going on, isn't it? My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. Lot wants to get them out of there. Spend the night, get up early, hit the road, you're good. No, they answered, we'll spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him, and they entered his house. Now, look at what happens here. He prepares a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they eat it. Before they go to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Now, I want to stop here. All the men in the city, young and old, every guy surrounded his house. Can you imagine having some guests over for dinner, and every man in the city you live in surrounding your house, young and old, all out on your porch. And this is what they were saying. They called a lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. What? (laughs) This is a messed up town, y'all. This is messed up. It's not like there were a few, there's like a small group of people that were into that that said, come on out. This was every man in the city, young and old, that said, hey, bring those guys out here so that we can have our way with them. That's a bad situation. That's a corrupt town. These are the people that Lot was leading. Can you imagine this now? So Lot went outside to meet them, and he shut the door behind him and he said no my friends don't do this wicked thing now watch what happens here look 
I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But do not do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. How many ladies out there would love to have Lot for a daddy? This mob surrounds his house, and he offers his two virgin daughters to every man in the city, young and old. Now, how do you get to a place like that? I don't know of a dad that would willingly do that. You've got to be in a dark, despicable place to do that. Some of y'all are like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Oh, yeah, it gets worse. Wait, um, it's crazy. That he offers his daughters up, listen, for gang rape. For gang rape. Here you go. And I bet if we were talking a lot on top of that mountain when he was talking to Abraham and they were picking the areas they were going to go to, and we said, listen, man, you're about to make this great move. What do you think is going to come from it? Like, what are the goals? What are you looking forward to? Man, I can't wait till my house is surrounded by all the men in the city so that I can give them my daughter so they can gang rape them. That's going to be awesome. No. 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 He would never have thought that. One step at a time, though. One step at a time, though. The enemy will change you. He'll change you. And you'll find yourself at a place where you're transformed. You ever see those guys that get in the cages with the tigers and the lions, like the tamers? I, I got to confess something to you guys. Like I take my kids to the circus and... Uh, and we go in, and they got the guy in the cage with the tigers and the lions, and he's cracking the whips. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. My kid's getting to see this. I'm getting to see this. This is amazing. But then there's this little dark part of me that goes, that dude's fixed to get killed. Like, he's in a cage with tigers. He's in a cage with lions. And, like, you'll see him turning around, cracking a whip, and then you'll see this one crazy tiger that's just like, and you're like, oh, my God, it's about to happen. I'm about to be on a 5 o'clock news, you know. And then he turns around and he cracks a whip and he puts them back in place. And then, like, once or twice a year, you hear this story of a trainer who gets mauled by a tiger. And everybody's like, it's horrible. I can't believe that it happened. And I'm like, you're in a cage with tigers. Like, they, you watch the nature shows, they run up behind stuff and just, ah! Claws and teeth, man, that's what they do. That's what they're programmed to do. It's going to happen eventually. And When you sit in a place where you rationalize the compromise for long enough, it'll pounce on you and transform you and lock you into something. Now, I see it happen all the time. All the time. You'll find yourself doing things that you never thought you would do. You'll find yourself in places that you never thought you would be at. You'll find yourself in situations that you never should have been in. But because you stayed in it long enough and you allowed it to transform you, it changes everything. It change, and people don't realize that it happens when it happens. I mean, just stop for a second and think about this. Can you think back on another time in your life where you were more on fire for God than you are now? 
Because this is what I know. There are people in here today, you're not as passionate for God as you used to be. You're just not. Because over time, you've allowed the flirtation and the rationalization and then the transformation and you're allowing stuff in your life now that years ago or even months ago would have never been on your radar. But you've allowed it to come in and transform you and change you. There are people in here, you, you're, not, you're not in church as much as you used to because it's not a priority anymore. But when you first got saved, you kicked down the doors and couldn't wait to be in service because you couldn't wait to get in the presence of God because you couldn't wait to hear the word of God because you couldn't wait to connect with the people of God. But you give it enough time, I'm too tired. I got to work tomorrow. Things you never would have said before. We don't give when we used to. We don't serve when we used to. We don't see the changes in our marriages and how... The, the love and the passion isn't there and the excitement isn't there. And over time, we've just become satisfied with being two roommates that live in the same place that occasionally have sex with each other. And that's the depth of the relationship. And one step at a time, we never see it happen. Until it's on us. You've got to be careful with this, guys, because this is the progression that the enemy wants to take us through. Guarantee you, Lot never would have saw that coming. And I bet you there's people in here you never saw where you're at right now coming. You stop and think. Stop and think. How is your relationship with God right now, really? Not, not how you look when you're swaying with the music and you're lifting your... I mean, when you go home and you got the option of cutting on the TV or being in the Word... What do you choose? When you've got the option of deciding to bring your kids to the hype night or keeping them at home because you're tired and you don't want to do it, what do you choose to do? You see what I'm saying? Because the trap is there. People walk through it. And they don't even realize it. Why are you on this, Josh? Why, why are you staying on this? It's getting a little uncomfortable in here. I want it to be a little uncomfortable in here because I care about you. And I don't want to see you transform to move in the opposite direction from the presence of God. If you get transformed, I want to see you transformed by the power of God. If you change, I want to see you change from the inside out because you're so in love with God, you don't want anything else in this world. I want to see you lift your hands. I want to see you leading people to Christ. I want to see you impacted and changed. I want to see you transformed by the Jesus that I serve. Not transformed in the other direction. I love you guys. I don't want to see you fall into the trap. I don't want to see you settle for this right here when we can walk in the power and the provision that God wants us to have. Because if we're not careful, after we're transformed by this stuff, we move into the final phase. And that's destruction. That's destruction. Nobody wants to wind up here. Nobody wants to wind up here. So God gets Lot out of this city, and he begins to call down the fire and destroy the city. I want you to see what happens as we're wrapping up this morning. Genesis 19, verse 30. 
Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. Now, let me catch you up on what's happened here. When they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, and God started to rain down the fire from heaven, the angels told them, hey, get out of here, head that direction, and don't look back. Okay? Lot lost all of his possessions in this judgment. All the rich, all the wealth that he had is gone. He lost it. It was destroyed because he was in a city that he shouldn't have been in. Okay? His two daughters were promised to be married to two men in the city. So when Lot was telling them, hey, God's about to destroy this place. We need to get out of here. They laughed at him, the Bible says, and thought he was joking. So they stayed. They were destroyed. So he lost everything he owned. His daughters lost their fiancés, which might have been for the better, considering the city. Which, by the way, when he offered them up to all the men in the city, they were engaged. Think about that. Think about that. So he's lost that. His daughters have lost their fiancés. When they're leaving the city, Lot's wife looks back and disobeys the order of the Lord, and she turns into a pillar of salt. So now he's lost his wife, all his possessions, his two daughters. He's there homeless. He's living in a cave now. All that wealth that he had when he was with Abraham, now it's gone. His family messed up, lost his wife because of a progression of bad choices. Look what happens here. This, this is messed up, guys. I just got to tell you, if this wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't even bring it up. Look at what happens here next. One day, the older daughter says to the younger, Mm-mm-mm. Our father is old, and there's no man around here to give us children, as is a custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. Okay, can we, we just agree that's pretty jacked up? That's pretty messed up right there. That's crazy. Now, see, they're rationalizing through doing this despicable act. Let's look what happens here. That night, they got their father to drink wine. And the older daughter went in and slept with him. He wasn't aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. Apparently, he was pretty hammered because, I man... Um, the next day, the older daughter said to the younger, last night I slept with my father. Not exactly what you'd expect over breakfast conversation. Um, let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they did the same thing again. And the younger father went in, and she slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father the older daughter had a son she named him moab and he's the father of the moabites today the younger daughter also had a son and she named him ben ami he is the father of the ammonites of today we can all just agree this is pretty messed up right man 
I'm just telling you, there, there ain't nothing they can put on a TV show that the Bible doesn't trump. I'm just telling you right now. There, there's some crazy stuff in Scripture. Why did you bring that up in church? Because I want you to see how far a person can go when they don't realize the small steps that the enemy's taking them through. I guarantee you, if we could go back in time when Lot was on that mountain with Abraham, and they were hanging out, and he said, I want to go over there. And we said, hey, man, what do you think is going to happen? Best case scenario for you and your life going forward. I bet you he wouldn't have said, I can't wait to move into the most sinful city on the, in, the, in the world, have God destroy it, and lose everything that I own. Walk out of there broke, lose my wife in the process, live in a cave, and then I absolutely can't wait until I get drunk and get both my daughters pregnant. Life goals. Anybody? Life goals? Nah. Because that's messed up. It's messed up. The enemy wants to take us through this progression so that he can destroy our lives. This is what he does. Flirtation. Rationalization. It leads to transformation. And then it leads to destruction. Now I want to ask you, if you had to be honest and look at your life right now, where would you find yourself in this cycle of silent temptation that the enemy likes to throw at us? Where would you find yourself? Why? Because John 10.10 10 says this. It says that the enemy comes. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I don't want you, I don't want you to get caught up in the enemy's plan to destroy your life, to steal your joy, to kill those close to you that you love. I don't want to see that. I want to see you operating in life and life to the full that God intends for you to have. That's why we're talking about this today. Because one of the number one things the enemy does is he hits us with temptation and small steps on this cycle. So where are you? Are you flirting with stuff? Are you rationalizing? Maybe you've been doing that for a while and you found yourself where you've transformed and you're doing things you never thought you would do. Like if you could look the, older, the younger version of yourself in the eyes, they would be shocked at what's going on in your life because of the decisions that you've made and because of what you become comfortable with in your lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you've already kind of crossed over the edge and, and you're seeing destruction in your life right now because of choices that you've made. And you know, there's another side of that too because we can see destruction in our lives because of the choices that other people make too. And we can get caught up in that. good news is is that Jesus died so that we could be free from sin so that we could overcome this temptation alright the good news is that we have we have in and of ourselves if we have a relationship with Jesus we have the ability to withstand and overcome every temptation that the enemy throws at us 
We can walk out of that cycle anytime that we want to. The Bible says that no one can be tempted beyond what they can bear. It means that we have a choice all the way through this process. Scripture says that God gives us a way out of that temptation every time. If we're looking for it. If we're not rationalizing. If we're not allowing ourselves to be changed. See, the enemy can't do anything in our lives that we don't give him permission to do. He can't walk through any door in our lives that we don't open and say, come in. When we do that, that's how it happens. He can't come in until we do that. So today... I want to challenge you to be honest. Take off the churchy face, to be honest and to be real. Real with God. Are you caught in a cycle? Because listen, there's not a stage of this that's safe. Because flirtation can quickly lead to a place where you're rationalizing. It can quickly turn into a scenario where you've changed. It can quickly put you in a place where your whole life is falling apart. Just like that. Now it took 13 years, give or take, for all this to happen to Lot. And I got news for you. The devil will wait just as long as he needs to to destroy your life. He's got all the time in the world. He doesn't get judged for a long, long time. We're going to be dead and gone before that happens. If he has to wait 20 years, he'll wait 20 years. If he has to wait 40 years, he'll wait 40 years and he'll slow step you. I want to get you out of that today because I think a lot of us would be shocked at how much he's allowed, we've allowed the enemy to bring into our lives and how far we've allowed him to take us in this progression. Bow your heads and close your eyes.